0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. The scripture reading today comes from Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 13 and 41 through 47. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypts and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs in our own languages— We hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. Verse 41 says So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And the prayers all came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles all who believed were together and had all things in common they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need day by day as they spent much time together in the temple they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a few moments for silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we gather this morning in the midst of our strengths and our weaknesses, of our hopes and our fears, we come to this moment hungry and thirsty, or full and just apathetic, overly entertained, half asleep. Some of us are bored others of us are anxious about the future we come to this moment feeling connected to other people and feeling alone hopeful and depressed making great strides in our lives and thankful for the progress that we've made and wrestling with anger or fear or addiction we come to this moment a beautiful mess And help us to see that in all our beauty and our brokenness, you know us. And your response is to give yourself to us in the personal work of your son, Jesus Christ. Convince us of that great love now. Send out your spirit and renew the face of the earth, starting with our lives right here and right now. Teach us by the power of your spirit in a way that our lives will be transformed. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, if you've been around church for longer than a year, you have probably heard this story because this is a story we bring out once a year, often called the birth birth story of the church when the Spirit came to God's people. If you're new to the church or new to these stories, this is a really helpful key to look at what Christianity offers and invites you into, okay? It's not just a set of beliefs that you assent to. it's It's absolutely an invitational relationship connected to the God who created you. That's the big invitation. And one of the details I always just, I'm noting every time I read this, is this rush of a violent wind. You have the fire, the rush of the violent wind. Something powerful is taking place in this house, in this town, at the time of this festival. Now, you'll note, they were already gathered for a festival. So this was not the first Pentecost. Pentecost was already a thing. You know, Latin majors, penta meaning 50, 50 days after Passover, also known as the feast of first fruits. So think about this time of year. If you're a farmer, the full crop is not there yet, but the crops are starting to come up. You can pick some of it. You can eat it now. You can drink it now. And it's a sign of things to come. So it's the sign of first fruits. If the first fruits are good, then the rest of the season is going to be good, too. Right? It's partial, but it's substantial festival of first fruits it's also the reminder of the time that Moses met with God on the mountain receiving the covenant of God to be God's people the man on the mountain bringing God closer to God's people so they already had a reason to be together that's why it lists all of these different nationalities and ethnicities and language groups that were in town for this major festival that you do but then there's that rush of a violent wind and the tongues of fire. They were already expecting something. And then God went above and beyond and shocked and surprised all of them. See, I don't know the loudest wind or, that you've ever heard. I remember growing up as a kid, I grew up in Ocean Beach. I would actually go back to Illinois for summers. That's where my aunts and uncles and grandparents were. I reverse commuted. They would say, why would anybody leave California in the summer to come to Sh- the Chicagoland area? But sure enough, there I was. And I'd end up on my Uncle Mike's lake. He had this great lake house. And ended up, um, Uncle John ended up having the house as well. So as a kid, it was a lot of hanging out and wakeboarding and kneeboarding and stuff behind a boat. And I remember as a Californian, when that tornado siren would go off and the sky would get kind of green and the the rain would start blowing upward because the winds were whipping so hard. Everybody with half a mind and any intelligence would be rushing into the basement to get below the grade. Except for this guy. I would be putting on my board shorts and running outside to stand in the midst of this rainstorm. Kids, I'm not recommending this. I'm not proud of it. I'm telling you what I did, not what I should have done. Until one day, When in the midst of that violent wind, in the midst of this lightning and thunderstorm, I felt every hair on my body stand up, which tells you, lightning's coming. And at that moment, a bolt of lightning came down above me and hit the tree to my right and hit the tree to my left. And I realized I was playing with a power that I did not understand. And once I realized that, the smartest thing I could do was stay away from it for my own good. The opposite's happening here because the people realize they are in the presence of a power they did not understand. But instead of the message being get away, it was come closer. I'm the Lord your God, I've created you. In fact, I want to be so close to you that I'm not just in front of you or behind you or above you or below you, I dwell within you. As close as flesh is to fingernails. As close as the air is that you breathe in your lungs, that is how close God says, I want to dwell with you. And so let's just look at the three phenomena that we recognize taking place here on this Pentecost day as we see outside power, inner wonder, a new message for all because of a new man on the mountain. Okay. First of all, outside power. One of the first three phenomena you see, verse two, comes like a violent wind. Scripture presents this picture of a power that came to these people that were gathered. And it wants you and me to recognize this is a power that's coming from outside the people. Okay, follow me here. To be filled with the Spirit is to have a divine power that you cannot manufacture, that you cannot achieve, that you can only receive. Because it's a grace that comes as a gift in your life. You know, this is on a collision course with our current culture. Half of the books in the Christian bookstore or the the Christian book section on Amazon could equally go under spirituality or self-help, right? We start to believe things like God helps those who help themselves. And then you read through scripture and realize God is helping people that can't help themselves. See, our culture, I'm reading a book right now by a Navy SEAL named Jocko Willink. He actually lives in San Diego. If you know Jocko, introduce me. I'd love to meet him. Um, he's wrote, he wrote this book called Discipline Equals Freedom." And every page is, you can do this. Dig deeper, dig harder, never quit, never stop. You think you can quit, you can't quit and it just goes on and on. And the point is, you have it in you. So dig deep. And I get it. I'm, I'm obviously I'm reading the book. That's real, it's true and it's helpful in many situations, but it's not the whole story. Because what do you do when you come to the place in your life where you cannot dig deeper? What do you do at that moment in your life where you have managed all of the details you can and still everything's out of your control? What do you do in that moment where you just don't have the will to move forward? And Pentecost comes and says, this is not about you digging deeper. This is about God at work in your life right now. So much of our culture says the the problems are out there, right? So it's either the the dysfunctional way that you and I were raised, it's the problems of society. There are plenty of problems out there. And we, we acknowledge this. But the myth is if we could just fix those, then you'd be okay. And the reality is you'd still be stuck with yourself. Martin Luther, the great reformer, used to say that the human soul is, a Latin phrase, incurvitus in se. It's curved in on itself. We have, you know, scoliosis of the soul, I guess he would say, that actually we continually go about achieving our goals and our strategies in ways that are good, in ways that are harmful. But the, the reality is we don't just simply need more willpower. We need God to break through and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so these tongues of fire come and immediately scripture wants you to see it was God doing for you what you could never do for yourself. there was outside power. There was also inner wonder because you see in verse three, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. And this is significant because throughout the Old Testament, when God would meet with God's people, often fire would be the symbol or the visible aspect of that meeting. Fire was uncontrollable. Fire had power. Fire could give light and heat and warmth, but you could not tame fire. And so in Genesis chapter 15, when Abram has a vision of God and he solidifies the covenant with God, you will be my God and we will be your people, what is the symbol of that covenant? Fire. When God meets with Moses and says, Moses, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, what was the symbol that God used? A burning bush. It was not consumed. When God led God's people through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, when he had rescued them from slavery, how did God lead them? By a pillar of fire at night. Wherever there's the fire of God, there's the presence of God. There's the freedom of God. There's the good news of God's liberation that's coming to God's people. So do you realize what's happening at Pentecost? Every Christian became a burning bush. Every Christian became a picture of God's presence for renewal, for liberation, for wholeness. The presence of God has come into every single believer on each of them. So it notes that the apostles were there. These were the sent ones, the called ones. Most of them uh, were instituted by Jesus himself. All of them had witnessed the resurrected Christ. So they were there, but not only them. They're not the only ones who got the Holy Spirit. Every Christian, male and female, ordained and lay, everybody, newcomers and the experienced ones, all of them received the Holy Spirit. What does this mean for you and me? I want you to consider one of the functions of the Holy Spirit in our world and in your life. I'll take you on a quick tour. In Jesus' baptism, when he's coming up out of the water, the Spirit descends as in the form of a dove, and the voice of the Father comes and says, you are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Later, we learn that every Christian that's baptized is baptized into that identity as beloved child. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, Paul writes, For all Christians, the Holy Spirit comes into your hearts and bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writes, The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and convinces us that we can actually call God Abba, Father, Daddy. Not just Almighty God, although he is that, but our closest daddy, intimate, loved. The job of the Holy Spirit is to come in and tell you of his love for you, of his delight in you, that you are his child. Jesus said in John chapter 14 through 16, I've told you many things. The Holy Spirit will, make, will take what I've said to you and make it manifest to you. So part of the Holy Spirit's function in your life and mine is when you wonder what God thinks about you. The Spirit's constantly getting in front of you again and again, pointing you back to your identity as beloved child of God. When that inner critic starts cranking up the volume in your mind, or those external critics out there that are saying things about you continue to snub you, the voice of the Spirit comes within you and says, Behold, but you are the beloved of God. And he will never leave you or forsake you. What if that's true? What if you actually and I actually believe that more? How would that change the way you relate to yourself or the way you relate to others? You see, God can't love you any more than God does right now because it's already completely full. God can't be any closer to you than God already is right now because he's already completely present. But God can help you experience his love more God can help you experience God's presence more. I just got back from a trip late last night. And so this morning, Joshua woke up as I was preparing the sermon and the service in the kitchen table. And he just came in, my seven-year-old son, and let me pick him up and hug him for 10 minutes. 10 minutes is a long time for me. It has to be a long time for a seven-year-old. Now, here's the thing. When I was on the plane, when I was far away on this trip, was he any less my son? <laughs> no, of course not. Legally, objectively, he was every bit as much my son when I was away as he was when I was holding me him in my arms. But experientially, when he's in my arms, he's feeling what it like, is like to be my son. The Holy Spirit comes to you and me and says, I want you experientially to know that you are my beloved child. I think there's another funny aspect to this. Because what does it look like on the outside? We see this outside power, this inner wonder. But what does it look like on the outside? Our translation says, but others sneered and said they are filled with new wine. Uh, And then Peter goes on to give this huge sermon about, ladies and gentlemen, please give me a second. We're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Here's what's actually going on, and he he talks about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But let's think about that for a sec. What does it look like on the outside? For one, for some reason, it looks like they're drunk. How could that be? Well, they have this uh, kind of ridiculously joyful fearlessness. They're speaking courageously without any inhibitions. They're kind of too happy to not care what anybody else thinks. They're that friend at the party that's just dancing like the world is not watching. They're afraid of nothing. So people look at them and go, I have a category for that. It's called inebriated. But Scripture wants you to see, and me, that the Holy Spirit does not work like alcohol works. Actually, later on, Paul's going to say, don't be drunk on wine, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. These two images continually are working back and forth with each other. And here's why I think. Alcohol is a depressant, right? So you can go a little crazier because you're less aware of reality. You have a little more courage because you're forgetting about yourself and where you are because reality becomes more hidden to you and that's what gives you the image of being more courageous, more outgoing, you know, more of all of that. But the Holy Spirit's different. It's not a depressant. You get joy through intelligence, not through forgetfulness. You get a joy through remembering who you actually are, not through forgetting. Who you're actually with. You get a joy because you're seeing more of reality, not because you're thinking about less of reality. You're, in other words, even in difficult times, you're able to see your circumstances in the context of a much bigger picture. A God who knows this world and loves it and is at work redeeming it even now. You're more aware of reality, not less. So you have outside power, inner wonder. How might being more aware of reality give you more courage today? How might remembering the way that God pours himself out for you propel you to go and pour yourself out on behalf of someone specifically this week? But not just someone specifically. Let's take that further. Someone who has nothing in common with you because that's what's taking place here. There's not only, you know, outside power, inner wonder. There's this new message for all. In verse 11, we see the people marveling. They list all of the ethnicities and cultures, languages. And then it says, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. In uh, in some other translations, it says, we hear them declaring God's wonders. In the Greek, it says, we hear them declaring God's (laughs) mega-deeds. Mega deeds, the mega things God has done in this world. God rescuing Israel and leading them out of slavery into freedom. In the New Testament, the miraculous way that God saved us through Christ, through his incarnation, becoming human, through his death and resurrection, showing that he has dealt a death blow to even death itself, and death will not have the last word. They were talking about the gospel. But they were talking about it for all people, not just for a select few. It didn't create insiders and outsiders. It made all of the outsiders now insiders. It's interesting, actually. This is a great coupling piece to a part that is described in Genesis chapter 10 through 11. And we don't have time to get into the whole story, but it's the story of the Tower of Babel. And what you have is you have this at at, at this time after the early creation, some of the earliest civilization, they had one language. And God said, go forth and multiply and fill fill the earth. And they said, no, we want to stay here and make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a tower so we can rally around it. And it reminds us how great we are. We want to build the first ziggurat or the first skyscraper, the first huge temple. We're going to do it. And God's confused their language and spread them out over the whole face of the earth. Some people say therefore language is a, is obviously a curse that God gave to people to confuse them. No, 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 not at all, not at all, not at all. That was the me- that was the mechanism that God gave the people to do the thing that God originally said God wanted them to do. Go out through all the earth. The interesting thing is when you get to the story of Pentecost. God's not reversing what happened at Babel he's fulfilling it in other words God in the renewal of Pentecost does not make all the languages the same again God makes it so all people can hear about God's mega deeds in their own language you follow what that means that means that Christian community is not called to be all the same all the same language, all the same ethnicity, all the same earning power, education, socioeconomic status, you name it, not at all. But it's one in which God meets us in the midst of all those details, right where we are. And because of that, God brings together a surprisingly diverse community. This is why we say it renews so often that our, our rallying piece, our unifying element is not that we all like the same things or all vote the same way. It's that God has called us all God's beloved children and we're adopted now into a family. Which means there's gonna be things that you have in common with other people around you and that's great. And there's gonna be things that absolutely perplex you about the person next to you. And instead of demonizing them or scapegoating them or distancing yourself from them, you can say, I do not understand where you're coming from, but I respect you. God loves you so I love you. Help me understand. And in this way, you and I are sharpened. In this way, North Park and San Diego and the watching world go, I understand there are churches that line up on one side of the political spectrum or the other. I understand that there are churches that have this sort of way of viewing the world. But I've never seen a community where everyone is diverse in their thinking, and their experience, And you guys love each other like brothers and sisters. That becomes part of the Pentecost miracle. The sign to the watching world that God's at work. That's actually what leads to, and I won't read the whole thing. You can go back and read verses 41 through 47. Those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Many signs and wonders were being done. all who believed were together, had all things in common they would sell their possessions and distribute to all as any had need this is a people birthing a new community in the midst of the old a new message for all i wonder first of all i love that each of you are a part of the renewed community and i have the honor of knowing most of your stories at least a little bit we're getting to know each other And those of you who are online as well, whenever you check in and write in the comments section or send me an email, we become more connected. But who is not a part of the Renew community that should be? Who's out there in our community that this church is not meeting with or loving or welcoming at this time in a substantial way? Because, of course, we want to. But let's look at our actions. What would it look like for this church to be recognized in all of North Park, in all of San Diego, as a church that actually loves its neighbor like that first community loved their neighbors. And what role can you play in that vision? Now, if I stop the story there, it's an intriguing story. It feels like a lot of marching orders, a lot of homework and a lot of weight. It feels like it could crush us by the end of the day. I want you to see why all this is possible because there's a new man on the mountain. See, as I mentioned, Pentecost was already a feast. These people were already gathered. Part of what they were doing was remembering that Moses had gone up the mountain to meet with God, to be the mediator. A mediator is someone who has trust and connection with two different parties so they could bring those two parties together. Moses acted as a mediator, giving God's law to the people. Moses led and prayed for them to come to God. Moses was great. He paled in comparison to Jesus, who not only led and prayed for the people to come closer to God, but bled and died for you and me to come closer to God. Who not only gave the words of eternal life, but is the word of eternal life made flesh, given for us. There's a new man on the mountain. He didn't just pray for us, he died for us. So, friends, my prayer and my hope is that today on Pentecost, you see, and I see more and more, that this story is actually our story. That that birthright is your birthright and mine, not because you were born into the right family or into the right place, but because God comes and meets you right where you are right now. The hardest work of all is to receive that. It's to trust that God actually loves you that much. All you need is nothing all you need is need. And in that moment, be ready for the wind. Be ready for the fire. Be ready for God to overwhelm you with God's love as we go out and exhibit that love to others. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray now in the same way on that first Pentecost uh, of your spirit coming to your people, that you would fill us with the same spirit. However we find ourselves right now, whether this is a Um, a familiar story for us or this is us hearing it for the first time. Help us to see that it's available to us. You are available to us. And so fill us with your spirit. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, we continue now as a time of offering which is part of us living into that pattern of receiving gifts from God and then giving them out on behalf of the community. Everything we give on Sunday and online goes to fund this church's mission to renew our neighborhood, our city, and our world. You can give online. Just hit the the give button on the website if you'd like. It's all encrypted and secure. But it goes far beyond our finances. It's our entire lives. And so use this time to think about what it would mean for you to respond in pouring yourself out on behalf of others. As we pray the offering prayer, if you're following along, it's page six. Let's pray. God of wind, word, and fire, we bless your name this day for sending the light and strength of your Holy Spirit. We give you thanks for all the gifts, great and small, that have been poured out upon your church. Accept and use our offerings for your glory in San Diego and throughout the world through Jesus Christ, who lives with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you.